0: We're gonna do something a little different tonight. Uh go ahead and turn to uh Ephesians chapter two. I'm uh working on Isaiah in uh Genesis as well. If I wanted to do some more uh more work there and I think with Isaiah, I think we'll go ahead and work through we were in the beginning of chapter nine. I think we'll finish out uh I think I think it is nine, uh finish finish out through Uh, chapter 11 or 12, and 12 is only six verses, but I'm doing some work on that. And so tonight I wanted to introduce uh, some topics about the law that I just wanted to uh, share with uh, uh, the church and the the body uh, before that we covered a bit in our uh, youth youth Bible studies. And uh, let's see, let me this up. And anyway, in uh, dealing with the the law, uh, there are many uh, positive statements about the law from Paul, and there are many uh, negative statements. And we'll be talking about the the Torah, uh, the the law. And a lot of times you get people where, I mean, there are uh, serious and major uh, disagreements, because whenever you're dealing with uh, the law, uh, you're dealing with uh, some of the deepest uh most difficult uh, theology uh in, that pertains uh to the gospel uh in such a, a profound way that uh, you can run into serious uh trouble just as Paul dealt with with the legalists uh, with the Pharisees with the uh, Judaizers uh within the the church but a lot of times uh discussions about the law sometimes you'll get some who will focus more on the, the negative aspects uh, that are uh, valid and need to be treated, because if you don't treat those properly, you'll drift off into uh, into legalism, uh, false uh, false binding and loosing. Uh, but then others will sometimes focus more on the, uh, positive aspects, uh, which can lead to, to other imbalances. And so I just wanted to present some material uh, to try and show some uh, distinctions within how Paul uses the law. Uh, and I'll be drawing largely from a scholar named Brian S. Rosner. Uh, and Rosner, he really, he didn't like come up with all this stuff. Uh, it's been treated for, for a long time, and many other uh, scholars have uh, dealt well with the law. But what he's done a good job at is just synthesizing and bringing together and treating uh, more fully what a lot of other good scholars have uh, treated, like uh, Thomas Schreiner, uh, Douglas Moo, uh, D.A. Carson, uh, many, many uh, others as well. And so, first, I, I just want to show you a part of the uh, the problem that we'll see uh, some uh, prototypical negative texts uh, followed by uh, positive ones. And so, I'll look in uh, chapter 2, And we'll begin with verse uh, 11. And here in Ephesians, uh, Paul's showing that the Ephesians, that uh, their sufficiency, uh, all their uh, blessing and salvation and provision is only in Christ. Uh, Christ is above all things. And so when they look for where uh, they have blessing uh, and power uh, to, to face uh, to face the, the evils of this age uh, and hostile spirits in the world, uh, they're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Uh, Christians are objectively blessed uh, in Christ. They have all they need uh, in Christ, uh, and they have nowhere else to uh, to look uh, for uh, for blessing, for power, for wisdom. Uh, it's all in him uh, and in the, the gospel and his uh, salvation. And here, uh, in chapter 2, verse 11, uh, he, he starts to apply this to uh, not just issues of being brought out of the kingdom of darkness, not under the power of Satan, not under power of the hostile spirits and the rulers and authorities and powers uh, in the, uh, the unseen realm, uh, as uh, Bob's book says right there, uh, or in the, uh, the heavenly realm, but for the unity of the body, for Jews, Gentiles, and all Christians, and here we're going to see that Christ uh, abrogates uh, the the law. Since I have a computer program, I forgot to pull up my logos. So uh, we'll start. I'll uh, start reading from the ESV. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, uh, Jews, so this, this is in the, the past, their lives in the past, uh, that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, physical circumcision, remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ." alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Uh, So they didn't have the promises. Uh, They weren't part of the commonwealth of Israel. Uh, They didn't belong uh, to uh, God's uh, people uh, in, uh, in Israel, the nation. Uh, and they didn't have Christ. They didn't have the promises that are found in the uh, the scriptures. And they were alienated under the, the hostile powers that uh, Paul had just been talking, they were delivered from. But now he, he transitions from the past. That was then, this is now. Uh, this is what, uh, what Christ has done. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near thereby killing the hostility. And so he talks about this uh, this dividing wall, or as Eric was speaking about re- recently, uh, he was talking about a, a balustrade, but this dividing wall of the law that divided Jews and Gentiles. Uh, it, it made the Jews a separate holy people to God, or, or that it, it was to keep them uh, as, as his people, but uh, it was limited in its uh, power without the the spirit uh, circumcising their hearts. Uh, the law uh, really didn't uh, didn 't profit them uh, greatly i mean ultimately uh, at all. Uh, but this was a dividing wall uh, between them, keeping them uh separate. But here he talks about what Christ uh, has done, and let me just uh, pull this up quickly. So, Until uh, verse thirteen, uh, but but now, so they, they were separated. They were, they were separate from the the promises, uh, the covenants of promise, uh, from Christ, from the the people of God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, uh, re- redeeming them. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh uh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Uh, and so uh, this law of commandments expressed in ordinances, uh, Christ bearing the curse of the law, him fulfilling it, uh, the, the righteous requirement of the law, and then bearing uh, the curse so it no longer abided upon them. Uh he, here, uh, he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, uh, which uh, in, in Greek, uh, the law of commandments uh, in, in ordinances. Uh, and so here, it's not just some of the commandments. It's not, it's not like you, you can just break up the law into uh, the Torah, into, well, he, he just abolished here uh, the ceremonial law. Uh, he just he just abolished the uh, civil law, uh, the, the the moral law is left, and maybe we can draw a little from the civil. Or or uh, theonomists uh, will say, well, that's actually inconsistent. We maybe see things about the uh, the ceremonial law that has been abolished, uh, saying Christ has made all things clean, like in Mark, but we have to keep the the civil here. But the law expressed in commandments in ordinances is. is Comprehensive uh, in how he talks about this, and here it's a negative statement about the law. It it divided them, it kept them separate from the people of God, and it was something that Christ here has abrogated. He's nullified, he's brought it to uh, its end so that it's no longer, uh, in this sense, valid and and binding. Oh, oh, yeah. Go go ahead.
1: I'm sorry. uh, um, what yeah. does the Greeks say there? Mine says, made of no effect.
0: In which, uh, oh, uh,
1: verse 15? Um, where
0: it says, yours he, says abolish. 15, yeah. Yeah, uh, kata ergo. I, I uh, it's to, to, to abolish something, to, to nullify it.
1: To, to ergo being so
0: that it, so that it's no longer uh, of, in effect, uh, it's no longer uh, no longer binding. It uh, doesn't continue. Uh, and ironically, part of the problems with Paul and the law, as uh, Brian S. Rosner says in Romans, so here you have, you have a negative statement. There, there are a lot of these. In Romans, he says, do we then, he uses the same word, nullify the law. May it never be. We, we, we fulfill it. It's it's fulfilled, but here he's saying it's abolished. Uh, the 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 sense in which he's talking about they're 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 similar, but there there are nuances that uh, that you have to deal with. Uh, in one sense, Paul, wait, you say, do do we nullify, it? do we abrogate uh, the law? May it never be. No, we don't. We we fulfill it. But then here he's saying we do nullify it, uh, and and so I just. Well, you see here how comprehensive it is. We're going to be there. Are some other texts in Galatians and First Corinthians. We're going to look at uh, more uh, comprehensively. But here you have a astonishingly negative statement uh, about and then what Christ has done to uh, to, to break down this barrier between uh, the two by abolishing uh, the law of commandments in ordinances, as comprehensive as you could could get. That he might create in himself. One new man in place of the two, so making peace uh, they didn 't have peace is the, the the law that uh, part of it uh, with them that that brought about hostility they might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility between the two between a jew uh, and Gentile but then go to uh, ephesians chapter uh, five uh toward toward the uh, The end, actually, might go uh, just a little into 6. Let's see. Chapter 6, right at the the beginning. And so now he addresses, after addressing uh, wives and husbands, you know, how to live now in light of their union in Christ and uh, the the, the blessing and provision and salvation they they have in him. Now he turns to children. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Why is it right? For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Wait, Paul, I, I, I thought that Christ abolished the law in commandments and ordinances. Uh, that uh, he abrogated It's about the strongest language you could use. Suddenly, the law's back. Paul... Are you a legalist? Are you putting us back under the the law? What's what's going on here? Uh, this is the fifth commandment here, right? Right out of the uh, the the ten commandments. Uh, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And for the reason he quotes this uh, uh, this uh, part of the ten commandments there's a promise in it uh, to to be received by uh, by faith here. But as we're going to see, uh, Paul can he can be negative against the law and use some of the strongest language. Uh, but then he can, uh, in, in, from a different perspective and a different sense, he can be very positive toward the uh, the, the Torah. And uh, the issue we'll be looking at uh, we'll be looking at the unity of the law. Uh, but uh, Brian S. Rosner uh, would uh, just describe this the the terminology that we'll we'll illustrate. He says that Paul basically takes three stances uh, toward the Torah, uh, the, the the five books of Moses, uh, and he does three things with it. And you have taken its whole, as we'll we'll see uh, in Galatians, but he polemically repudiates the law, as law, as legal code, as covenant, as the old covenant, the the Mosaic covenant uh, that bound the people and brought them under a curse. He polemically repudiates it. And polemical, uh, it's sort of uh, an aggressive form of argumentation. Uh, very aggressive. It uh, comes from polemos war, but you, you can't just read like war into it. But aggressive sort of argumentation as he faces the Judaizers. He polemically repudiates the law, as we, uh, we saw, uh, began seeing Ephesians 2, as law as legal code as the old covenant that divided them that brought people under a curse uh the the people they need to uh keep the law and if not they were brought under a curse if they didn't uh if they didn't keep it per- perfectly uh and then he radically replaces the law the torah uh, second uh, as what he calls Theological motif means like a, a theme. And all he means there is that there are different emphases, different themes between the old covenant at Sinai, the Mosaic covenant, and the new covenant. Uh, and so you see all these ideas where uh, he talks about that he's not under the law, but under the law of Christ. That uh, we, we no longer walk in uh, the old way of the flesh, but the new way of the spirit. Uh, we're, we're no longer serve in the old way of the written code, but in the new way of the spirit. Uh, not the law written on tablets of stone, he talks about in 2 Corinthians, but on tablets of human flesh, uh, the, the new covenant, faith working through uh, through love, uh, by, uh, by God's grace, uh, through faith in Christ, uh, all Uh, The blessings of salvation are only in Christ. Uh, From uh, justification to sanctification to glorification, uh, it's only by grace uh, and through faith in Christ. It's something that's uh, granted us as uh, a free gift. And so uh, he, uh, he polemically repudiates the law, and we'll see more examples of this, as legal code, as covenant that binds and brings a curse on the people. But he then radically replaces the law as theological motif with these, these emphases of, not that they weren't there at all, God did circumcise hearts under the old covenant. It just wasn't, it wasn't promised to every single individual who was of physical descent from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, but he did circumcise hearts uh, under uh, the, uh, the old covenant. Uh, and he he did put his spirit upon Joshua and Caleb. Caleb had uh, had a different spirit. He has a different spirit. They'll go into the land uh, where the those who disbelieved and wouldn't enter into the land uh, when the spies uh, gave a bad report. They're to die in the wilderness because they disobeyed God ten times uh, with the, the the ten ten commandments. Basically, uh, they disobeyed him in in full. Caleb had a different spirit. Uh, the the spirit that's upon. You, he says to Moses, I'll put upon Joshua. Uh, and Joshua will take the people into to the land. And so he did circumcise hearts under uh, the old covenant, and salvation was only by grace through faith. Uh, and there, there were uh, sacrifices, there were means of forgiveness. However, the sacrifices couldn't perfect anyone, they, they weren't sufficient. And so they trusted God that God would one day cleanse them of. Their sins. Uh, One day the perfect sacrifice would come that these shadows and types pointed to and would cleanse them of their sins. And it's the new covenant that promises, uh, where God promises to all who are truly members of the new covenant that uh, I will. Write my law in their hearts and cause them to walk in my statutes, I will put put my spirit in upon them I'll sprinkle clean water upon them and forgive their sins and remember them no more uh, all of these grand promises which are to all who are truly uh belong to uh, the new covenant uh, who have uh put their faith and trust in in christ uh, the uh, the elect the uh, redeemed and so he uh, radically replaces the law as theological motif, as he puts it. These new covenant uh, emphases uh, and themes and and ideas uh, about walking in the spirit and uh, such. And then, thirdly, and lastly, uh, Paul wholeheartedly reappropriates the law, the Torah, as scripture. As Christian scripture. In a sense, he retains it. It was always scripture. It was always God's word. But the there's there's a change. Uh, as scripture, he wholeheartedly reappropriates it, uh, and Rosner includes, as, as wisdom, uh, as prophecy. Uh, wisdom that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Uh, that the man of God may be uh, adequate, equipped for every good work. Uh, the Torah, it's good for training in righteousness uh, to the extent that uh, the Torah uh, agrees with god's character and purposes in creation and uh the new covenant uh, uh the teaching of Christ and uh, his apostles and prophets the the torah is it's it's valuable for training uh in righteousness to uh teach us to instruct us and Paul many many times says that these things they're written they're written for us uh and so I, I just want to look at, uh, at some more of this by let's go to Galatians chapter. Four. First, I, I just want to look toward the, the end of this uh, chapter uh, where uh, the Galatians, of course, they were turning quickly away from, from Christ, uh, the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, they were turning away from the gospel uh, that uh, all of salvation uh, in blessing in God's promises are only in Christ uh, and they're received uh, by grace through faith. It's a it's a free free gift. Uh justification, sanctification, uh glorification, uh the kingdom, everlasting life. Uh, it's, it's only found uh, by grace through faith uh in uh in Christ. Uh and so uh, he has been uh dealing with them and uh uh and Calling them back uh, to the gospel, uh, showing that the law only brings uh, uh, a curse. Uh, if you're if you're going to uh, keep the law, then you have to keep the, the whole law, uh, and it it brings a curse. Curse it is everyone who does not keep the whole law to to abide by it, to to do it. And Christ bore uh, the the curse. And here I I just want you to see, uh, in verse twenty one, he's going to address them. And this deals with the uh, important idea that the Torah, generally the biblical authors, they didn't divide it, it has parts, but they didn't divide it just into legal bits. Uh, they didn't just divide it into the moral legal bits, the civil legal bits, and the ceremonial legal bits. Uh, the Torah this is the five books of Moses, and it has narrative, it has genealogy, uh, it has yeah, he has commandments, it has wisdom, prophecy, uh, and you get into trouble if you interpret the Torah, even under the Old Covenant, as just merely legal bits uh, that are to be kept or some, something like that. Uh, it's uh, it's more than that, and you're not going to understand the need for a circumcised heart that Moses uh, puts great emphasis on, like in Deuteronomy, for instance, and throughout. Uh, the The need for God's spirit uh, to uh, To cause them to uh, to believe God into uh, a uh, walk by faith uh, and, and, and to be saved by by grace uh, and to be taught by him by god 's uh, god 's spirit uh, and so you, you can 't just reduce the law into just uh, the the torah into legal bits uh, they tend to see it more holistically where even uh, we 'll get right into this but even they talk about again and again, you see in the New Testament and other Jewish literature, the law and the prophets to summarize the Old Testament there's the law, the prophets, five books of Moses and prophets just kind of shorthand for uh summarizing the uh, the the rest and the prophets they grouped uh like from uh Joshua uh, through most of the historical books uh through uh, the major and minor uh, prophets, the the twelve uh, minor prophets, not because they're unimportant, but because they're shorter uh, than the the major. Uh, but the law and the prophets, uh, the law, the prophets, the writings. Uh, they divide into three parts: the law, the prophets, the psalms. Uh, the psalms. Uh, were often thought to begin the section of the writings, the the last section that they divided into. And the the law was the Torah. It can even be called Moses and the Prophets, Moses the Prophets and the Writings, uh, because uh, Moses was associated for many, many reasons as the mediator, as the giver of the law, as the giver of the Ten Commandments, the Book of Covenant. Uh, And there were others in Moses' day. He worked with uh, Joshua. Sometimes God told him, uh, have Joshua write in a book. And he wrote... uh, the Song of Yahweh, or the Song of uh, Moses, or uh, have uh, have Bezalel the craftsman and Ithamar uh, the the priest have them uh, write down uh, the uh, all of the contributions for the tabernacle. Uh, but then, working to the end of Moses' life, authored and brought together and preached and taught uh, the Torah, the five books of uh, uh, of Moses, uh, and so they generally they saw the Torah as the five books uh, as Genesis Leviticus uh, numbers in uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, And here uh, we could show many examples of this and we'll see some more, but uh, here's a very, very interesting one. So verse uh, 21. So he's addressing the Galatians uh, who are uh, at risk of, of going astray from, from Christ and, you had one thing, and you're cut off from Christ. You had circumcision, one thing, uh, to uh, grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. You've denied, you've denied the gospel. Tell me, you desire who to be... <laughs> uh, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to, uh, to the law? So that's kind of interesting. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law? That's negative. You don't want to be un- under the law, as covenant, as legal code, that brings a curse uh, upon you. Uh, that uh, if you don't keep it, then uh, then you're you're done uh, as as uh, any means of salvation or justification uh, or. Uh, ultimate sanctification glorification the the law can 't do it the flesh is is weak uh, people are in bondage to sin, and so tell me you who desire to be under the law as covenant, as legal code, law as law, as Brian s Rosner says, do you not listen to the law as yes, scripture he 's now going to instruct them from the the, the torah not not as he 's not putting them back under the old covenant but as Scripture, he's now going to use it to correct and instruct them. The, the same Torah that they want to go back under as the old covenant uh, that's uh, that's been abolished. Uh, so, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Uh, so. He's instructing them, uh, those who want to go back under the law, what you don't want to do, you don't want to go there, you'll be cut off from Christ, do not listen to the law. And, and he goes, what, what book is this from? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Slave woman, Hagar, free woman, Sarah. Well, that's Genesis. Well, if the law is just legal bits, that's narrative. That's historical narrative, uh talking about events that happened in Abraham's uh life uh here. Uh not not the just the Ten Commandments, uh, not just the legal bits, not just the ceremonial and the civil, but do you not listen to the law? He goes to Genesis, the, the book of Genesis, and he goes to this narrative with uh with uh uh Abraham, Sarah, and and Hagar. Because it's the Torah. The the Torah. Yeah, he has commandments, but he has narrative, uh, he has genealogies, uh, he has poetry, uh, he has all sorts of uh, elements in it. The, the five books of uh, of Moses that they want to go back under as, as a covenant, uh, which would bring a curse upon them. So, do not listen to the law, he instructs him, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave, a woman, and one by a free woman. So, Hagar... Uh, and uh, Sarah, she's uh, she's the free woman, as we'll see. Or uh, Sarah's the free woman, uh, but uh, the son of the slave Hagar was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And so uh, Ishmael was born to Hagar, and that that was when uh, Sarah or Sarai at the time and Avram uh, they uh Sarai had the great idea that well you know god hasn't given this uh ch- child uh, this this uh this offspring that, that we're uh expecting and so we'll take this into our own hands and i'll i'll, I'll give you uh uh this uh this uh slave woman of mine the servant uh as as a concubine and I'll, we'll have a child through through her and uh, he'll, he'll be our, our adoptive son. We'll take this into our own hands. And it said, Abraham, listen to the voice of his wife. God says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. No, it's not saying never listen to your wife, but if your wife speaks against God, <laughs> you. You don't want to. You don't want obey. <laughs> uh, same for uh, for wives and husbands. If their husbands are saying disobey God, don't go there. And here, taking two wives, Lamech took two wives. The evil the of Cain, and so this is not according to God's uh, God's purpose to give the promised child Isaac, but uh, but Ishmael. And so, uh, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise, that God had, uh, had promised. Uh, now, uh, this may be interpreted uh, allegor- allegorically or sort of as a, a figure of, of speaking uh, that uh, Paul's uh, drawing from, uh, from this, uh, this lesson here. Uh, these women are two covenants. Uh, one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Uh, She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. And so uh, the the promise of blessing wasn't through Ishmael. Uh, It wasn't through Hagar. Uh, God chose Isaac uh, to preserve, to restore, to ultimately bring about the fullness of his creation, blessing, and promise uh, through, uh, through Isaac through the chosen uh, offspring, Uh, the chosen believing uh, offspring through whom ultimately uh, the ultimate Davidic king uh, would come, Uh, the the ultimate uh, judge and king and priest and prophet, uh, and the ideal Israelite would come who fulfills all of God's promises because Yahweh himself is the only truly righteous judge Uh, king, priest, and prophet, uh, from Deuteronomy 17 and and 18. Yahweh has to fulfill. A sinner is always, they fall short, they disappoint. The God-man has to bring about uh, the the promises. And so here, uh, he he speaks of these women as two covenants. Uh, One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. And she later uh, went to uh, Sinai and then the southern regions in Arabia and took a wife uh, from the uh, Egyptians, I believe, for uh, for Isaac or for Ishmael. Uh, and, and wasn't of the uh, the, the the promised uh, line. Uh, and here he talks about uh, Mount Sinai. That's where the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant, was uh, was made, was inaugurated uh, in the presence of. Uh, of God, uh, where uh, they heard the trumpets, where there was uh, uh, fire and smoke, where God spoke His law, the Ten Commandments, and uh, gave them the Book of the Covenant, uh, and where three thousand died uh, with uh, the the golden calf and the giving of the law, the, the Ten Commandments, as Eric has uh, has spoken about uh, that they broke, and uh, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with uh, her. Children, the present Jerusalem, in Paul's own day, by and large, uh, the uh, the the Jewish people, uh, his people, by and large, their leadership uh, in the people uh, didn't come to faith uh, in in Christ. Uh, they didn't uh, turn faith in Him uh, to the new covenant, but they remained under the old. Uh, they remained under the types and shadows uh, that could never perfect them. Uh, sacrifice. Uh, well, day after day, week after week, at all their their feasts and assemblies, and month after month, and uh, the years, and every seven years, and every forty-nine years at the year of jubilee, and it never perfected them. Every year they had the day of atonement, and it perfected no one. Uh, they they could trust that God God would ultimately cleanse them of their sins, but the the blood of bulls and goats, as the author of Hebrew says, they couldn't perfect uh, anyone. Uh, but only Christ could do that. And so the present Jerusalem in his own day on the earth, who by and large, uh, their leaders uh, and the the people uh, hadn't come to faith, although God had preserved a remnant uh, by his grace, uh, they correspond to the the present Jerusalem. Hagar, Ishmael, uh, Mount Sinai, not uh, the child of promise. Uh, And that's not to say... As uh, Bob uh, stated really profoundly, that all Esau had to do was bless Jacob. <laughs> all he had to do was trust God's promises. That that was it. Uh, and,
1: didn't
0: like the idea that it was through Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> he, he put it so simply. And I, I remember working through Genesis and thinking about that. But when you stated that, it's it just so simple and so profound. All Esau had to do was accept God's promises and, and trust in them. Uh, th- that was it bless jacob i 'll bless those who bless you i 'll curse those who curse you, but here you see this isn 't the promised chosen line through whom is the uh, the blessing uh in the uh, the promises uh and this corresponds to the present Jerusalem who wanted to remain under the old covenant under the Mosaic covenant under the law, and to uh to to achieve righteousness uh, through those. Uh, those means. To enter in God's kingdom, not through Christ, not through the, the new covenant, in uh, the ultimate blessings and promises that came to all believers for all time, but they wanted to remain under the, the old. And so Hagar, Ishmael, corresponds to the present Jerusalem, Mount Sinai, the old uh, covenant, uh, Paul says here. But, uh, and so here, and you can even talk about There's a sense in which you talk about Paul polemically repudiates the law as legal code, as covenant, uh, which we saw. You who want to be under the law. You don't want to go there. Uh, The same things he does with, uh, Rosner has spoken about like the three pillars of Judaism, circumcision, the Torah, uh, and uh, the temple. You can speak about the nation too. There's a sense in which he polemically repudiates all of these things, uh, even the, uh, the the nation in a sense, where he'll say shocking things like in Philippians, and to the Philippians who are largely a, a Gentile audience, a mix of uh, those who became proselytes and God-fearers and uh, pagan Gentiles, we're the true circumcision, meaning the new covenant. We've been regenerated, not just not just of the flesh, but of the, the heart, by the, the spirit. We're the true circumcision. And so there's a sense when he deals with the Judaizers, there's this uh, polemical repudiation of the old. Uh, and even for for the nation, those who want to stay under uh, the old system, in Hebrews he says, uh, they have no part. Uh, they don't partake in our altar, in the new, new covenant uh, sacrifice. Uh, and here... Uh, he even says the present Jerusalem corresponds to this earthly, uh, and to, to Sinai, to the old, uh, and they're, uh, they're unredeemed. Um, po- polemically uh, repudiates and uh, can even say with uh, uh, the temple, you can use examples from Jesus, uh, but uh, and radically replaces, we're the true circumcision. Uh, and for the the temple in Corinthians, don't you know that you're the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? The physical temple was still standing in that day. But Christ came and said, uh, and and, uh, cast people out, uh, the money changers and such, and and said, uh, this is a den of robbers and of of thieves. Uh, And the glory of God left and departed, as uh, Eric has also spoken about, uh, uh, to the Mount of Olives and ascended. Just as in uh, Ezekiel, God's glory departed from the, uh, the, the temple. He, polemically, he repudiates that a Christ uh, is the, the temple of God. Uh, destroy this body in three days. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll build it up. I'll, I'll raise, it, raise it up, the, the temple of his body, because he's truly God with us. Uh, God is present uh, in, uh, the, uh, the sun, uh, in the eternal son, in the God-man, the one who took on uh, flesh. Uh, but then uh, he, he also uh, he also wholeheartedly reappropriates where you see like in uh, Romans 11 and such, they're enemies for your sake, but for the sake uh, of their fathers uh, and the covenant, God's promises, they're dearly beloved. God's going to bring them back in, a great national remnant. There's always been a remnant, but he's going to bring them back in so that at the end of Revelation, uh, you have 12 foundations to the heavenly Jerusalem, that correspond to the 12 apostles and 12 gates for the 12 tribes. And together, 24 divisions, their kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Just like the 24 Levitical divisions, as in heaven, so on uh, earth, as uh, Michael Heiser in his uh, book that you're reading, but uh, uh, speaking with uh, Eric about that, uh, as in heaven, so on, on earth, uh, God uh, brings his heavenly Jerusalem uh, to, to to the earth. That's made not with not with hands, Uh, as uh, like in the book of Daniel, uh, the kingdom that uh, stone not made by hands that crushes all the other kingdoms and then fills the whole earth uh, from uh, from God. Uh, And so there you see, it's not just it's not just the apostles, it's not just the uh, assembly of the redeemed of the church in this age, but uh, the uh, the uh, Jewish nation. Uh, a believing national remnant is going to be brought back in, uh, and Christians are partakers in the promises. They're partakers in the covenants of promise. Uh, they're partakers in the kingdom, uh, but God is not is not done. Uh, he's going to wholeheartedly reappropriate them, and you you can see that with uh, with the law, with circ, uh, circumcision, uh, with uh, with uh, also the the temple and the uh, the nation uh, as well. Uh, the, and so it's quite profound. But here, uh, hi, Nancy. Uh, welcome. Uh, and so uh, now uh, he, he says uh, in uh, verses uh, 24, uh, now this may be interpreted allegorically. Uh, these women are two covenants. One, one is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar with Ishmael. Now Hagar is, is Mount Sinai. In Arabia, she corresponds to the present earthly Jerusalem uh, that's, by and large, in rebellion against God. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. So you speak into this audience. The Galatians, who are a mix, largely Gentiles, but proselytes, God-fearers, and pagan Gentiles, Uh, But the Jerusalem above is free, the heavenly Jerusalem. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband, or who is is married. And that comes from uh, Isaiah 54, right after Isaiah 53. And the suffering, God's suffering and exalted servant, Redeems it makes intercession for uh, the people and redeems them, uh, and then it breaks out. Uh, Rejoice, O barren one, who, who does not bear! Break forth and cry aloud! Uh, he's speaking to Jerusalem uh, here. Uh, he he uh, sort of personifies the uh, the the city, and so celebrate. Uh, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband, and so after the exile of the people uh, with the Assyrians, with the the Babylonians, ultimately Jerusalem is going to be populated. He even talks about like, expand your tents, make room for for all the the peoples that they're going to be, the children, the peoples who are going to dwell in Jerusalem, uh, as many as the sands of the sea on the the seashore, and the the stars in, in heaven. And so, Uh, But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Uh, In contrast to the earthly Jerusalem that wants to stay under uh, the the present, uh, by and large, unbelieving nation, their leadership, wants to stay under the old covenant, and not not believe in God's uh, Messiah. And so, uh, verse 28, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, through faith. Uh, Jews and Gentiles, uh, they partake in the promises through faith, like Abraham, uh, the man of faith, who's the father of both Jews who believe uh, and are circumcised uh, physically, and uh, those who uh, who aren't physically circumcised, Gentiles who uh, who believe and share uh, in the, the promises. And uh, you can even see that through uh, the Old Testament with uh, uh, people like, well, some of them, they joined into the people of God like Tamar, who is a Canaanite, uh Rahab, uh the who is a Canaanite, probably a cult uh prostitute in, in uh, Jericho, who believed in Yahweh and became part of the, the people of God. Whereas Achan, who rebelled against God in Jericho and took of the things that, that were uh that were banned uh, and de- to be devoted to destruction, uh, he and his family who were in solidarity with him, uh, they were they were stoned. They were put to death just like the people of Jericho, just like un- unbelieving Canaanites. Uh, and even uh the uh well not Haman, but uh who, who what the paper you just wrote, uh who uh Naaman. Naaman, Naaman. I was like, not Nahum, not uh Naaman, and he is a believer and he, he went back to his country, but he is a believer in in, uh, in God. And you see that even, there were believers throughout, like uh, Melchizedek, uh, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, of, of Salem, uh, in Abraham's own day. And so, uh, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. They're partakers of the covenants of promise. Uh, but just as at that time, he who is born according to the flesh, uh, uh, merely, a lot of times flesh, sometimes it just has to do with mortal humanity, uh, but uh you can also oftentimes bring in uh mortal humanity uh in all of his sinful inclinations uh in rebellion uh that's uh, basically uh, the the nature of uh, sinful mortal man after the uh, the the fall and so Uh, But just as at that time, he who is born according to the flesh persecuted him who is born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman, of Sarah, of Abraham. Of uh, the promises and the heavenly Jerusalem, the new covenant, uh, two two covenants uh, here, uh, co- uh, covenant of promise, uh, new new covenant, uh, or as uh, Paul says in Ephesians, covenants of uh, of promise, uh, versus the uh, the old Hagar, Ishmael, uh, corresponding to the earthly Jerusalem that, by and large, remained in their sins and in rebellion and. Uh, this is also part when later paul speaks about uh saying that uh into uh anyone uh who obeys uh this uh, command blessing upon uh upon him and upon uh, the israel of god uh, i think the two there are uh israel of god is a broader notion than i'd say just the church uh, it's kind of like the the 20 uh the 24 uh with the heavenly jerusalem where Uh, believers in the church the assembly of redeemed in this age are partakers but so will be uh, the uh, future national jewish remnant who are going to enter into the kingdom so that you have the uh, 12 foundations for the 12 apostles and the 12 gates for uh, the 12 tribes and so a blessing a blessing or peace upon him and upon the, the israel of god and of course Someone upon whom God's blessing and promises, he's a partaker of the, the promises. Uh, but the, the the Israel of God, it is polemical. Uh, Paul polemically repudiates the earthly present Jerusalem in his own day that by and large was in rebellion. Uh, they won't enter into uh, God's everlasting kingdom. They won't enter into the heavenly Jerusalem unless uh, they repent and believe uh, in the gospel and become partakers of the heavenly Jerusalem, of eternal uh, eternal life and the millennial kingdom, uh, the uh, the eternal kingdom. Uh, and so, uh, I'd say it's it's probably a uh, somewhat broader notion, but it excludes the unbelieving present uh, earthly uh, Israel and their leaders, who haven't uh, come come to believe, and it's polemical, and he uh, he radically replaces, in a sense, uh, with the heavenly Jerusalem, which you even see in the book of Daniel, but one day, they're going to be wholeheartedly reappropriated when God brings in a great a national remnant. Uh, but here, I, I just uh, want you to notice, then, that with the law, Although we see these other themes, uh, pillars of Judaism, as uh, Rosner and others talk about, uh, circumcision, uh, the, uh, the temple, the law, uh, but then the, the nation, uh, too. Uh, that here, he's drawing from Genesis. He's talking about the law, but he's drawing from the, the book of Genesis. It's not just legal bits he's drawing from. He's drawing from narrative. He's drawing from historical narrative uh, events, and he's using it to instruct them. Uh, he wholeheartedly reappropriates the Torah as scripture, a source of wisdom, a source of... We're in
1: Galatians chapter... Yeah. That? Yeah, four.
0: And so, just at verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law... As covenant, that's a bad thing. You don't want to be bound to the old covenant uh, because it brings a curse, just like the uh, the present earthly Jerusalem uh, and the uh, those who are not the children of promise, those who haven't uh, believed in the promises in uh, uh, in the the Messiah. And so he polemically repudiates it as law, but do you not listen to the law as Scripture for teaching, uh, which is perfect consistency with God's work in creation and the teaching of Christ and his apostles. Uh, uh, It's in in imperfect harmony and consistency. And so it's not just, when he wholeheartedly reappropriates, it's not just some of the legal bits. It's the whole Torah as scripture, as wisdom, as prophecy. Uh, All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in in righteousness, all of it. as it's uh, consistent with creation and in, in christ and uh, his uh, apostles and prophets and so uh anyone who would say well uh you're being an antinomian because uh you're you're against you know the moral bits no I actually uh, i don't know about you but i'm for the whole torah uh, as a source of instruction not just not just moral bits not just civil or ceremonial bits but as they're uh, as they're consistent and not going back to them as law as a means to be uh, to be uh, justified and receive God's blessings of salvation in uh, promise in Christ, but as Scripture uh, to to teach to edify, these things are written for uh, for our instruction. Paul says uh, again and again, and we'll see. He draws from he draws from so-called moral bits, Honor your father and mother. Uh, as we saw in uh, Ephesians, he can make a radical sort of negative statement. Uh, the whole law in commandments and ordinances. Uh, Christ, he, he abolished it. It's done. It's, it's no more. That's covenant. as as legal code. But then you get to chapter 5, and it's like, uh, children, honor your mother and father. Uh, for, as, as it's written, you know, in, in the law. Uh, and uh, this this is the, the first commandment with a promise. Uh, and, and so for instruction you know honoring your father and mother uh by god's grace uh, through faith in christ by the power of his spirit it's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing uh at, at all and they they're not keeping it to be justified or uh, or uh, anything like that but uh it's in perfect harmony with the teaching of christ and his apostles and uh in prophets and so that's what some would call like the, the moral bits, the Ten Commandments. You have the moral bits there, and then you have civil and uh, ceremonial. We're going to see, well, Paul draws from, he draws from the so-called moral bits. He draws uh, as a source of scripture and uh, wisdom, instruction. Uh, he draws from the so-called civil bits, ceremonial bits, uh, from narrative, from genealogy, uh prophecy it, it 's all a source of prophecy and wisdom, and you actually get in real big danger when you start bifurcating or trifurcating or cutting up the uh, the Torah just into even legal bits. The legal bits are in a bigger framework of teaching about god 's spirit, the need for circumcised hearts uh, they can't they can 't obey God in their own power in their own strength. Uh, there was wisdom. Uh, in teaching and instruction and salvation in the Torah, even at that time. And they, they saw uh, if, if they were reading well, they should have seen, we can't justify ourselves. We can't keep this. We need our sins forgiven. We need God to circumcise our hearts. We need the spirit at work in us. Otherwise, we can't even uh, trust in God in in through faith, we, we, can't even, we can't even obey God uh, in, our, in our own power. We're, we're too sinful. Uh, and so when you start splitting up and you, you just reduce it to legal bits, that's not how they saw the Torah. It, it was in a bigger framework of teaching and instruction. And also reading the Torah today, you can't pretend that there's nothing new about the new covenant. And that we don't take into account what Christ and his apostles and uh, prophets uh, teach, that there's been no uh, no change. Uh, there, uh, there has. Uh, and uh, we're not under the law uh, as covenant, uh, as legal code, under the Torah, uh, the five books of uh, Moses, uh, as he uh, speaks about. And he can even talk about circumcision. Uh, in 1 uh, Corinthians, uh, he talks about uh, that uh, uncircumcision is nothing. Circumcision is nothing but keeping the commandments of God. Well, circumcision was a commandment of God. In fact, a very important one. Uh, Moses almost died for not circumcising his son. God almost cut him off because it was unbelief, and uh, as if he wasn't uh, of uh, the, uh, God's people, uh, as if uh, he wasn't of God's believing people, uh, of of the the promises. Uh, But he didn't circumcise his son. He was almost cut off. Uh, There were Jews uh, under, uh, as Brian S. Rosner talks about, other times too, uh, in Tychus uh, Epiphanes uh, in the uh, second century BC that were tortured and went to their deaths because circumcision was forbidden, uh, because reading of the Torah was forbidden, uh, because uh, all of these uh, offering sacrifices to God and Sabbaths uh, were being Jewish was forbidden. And they went to their deaths, and some of them, some of them, no doubt, I mean, if they didn't, if they were trusting in their own righteousness, then uh, people can die, uh, they can die painful uh, deaths, not believing in the gospel. It it does uh, happen, and it's uh, very uh, sad uh, when people do that, but those who trusted in God, there were believing Jewish people who were tortured, uh, who were imprisoned, who were killed to keep circumcision because they trusted in God uh, and uh, people were cut off for it. But uh, Paul goes to circumcision. Well, that's in Genesis. Uh, that That's not just, you know, uh, ceremonial bits or, you, you know, you expect like at Sinai, you expect with the Ten Commandments, you expect in Leviticus, uh, you know, the, the legal bits are there. Uh, but those aren't just legal bits either. There's uh, more to it. And so, now, just seeing uh, here an illustration that the uh, the torah uh, it's, uh, it's not just it's not just legal bits, it's not just moral, civil, ceremonial bits, but it's the five books of Moses uh, you, you, you can't separate it, but Paul stands toward it it's negative in some respects if you want to go back to it as covenant, but for uh, for, uh, for wisdom for for prophecy. Uh, under the uh, is consistent with the new covenant, but uh, he's positive. You know, he's he's all he's all for it. And so, let's go to First Corinthians, chapter. Let's see nine. Maybe we'll go into eight. Okay, look at the the beginning of chapter eight, and we'll try and go fairly quickly through some of these things. But at the beginning of chapter eight. Uh, Paul addresses the Corinthians and uh, he uh, he would, uh, at the beginning of the letter, uh, he started addressing issues that he uh, heard about that was reported to him uh, that the Corinthians, uh, or at least some of them, were creating factions uh, around certain maybe leaders or teachers uh, that they thought were uh, especially wise or they had a very impressive sort of oratory, uh, speaking style, Uh, powerful. Uh, They were uh, persuasive, uh, maybe even from their uh, influence by a sort of uh, Greek uh, philosophical sort of teaching and sophism uh, that put a great emphasis on wisdom and oratory and uh, speaking styles. And so he addresses these issues of uh, factionalism. uh, And then uh, he goes on to also address issues of uh, immorality in the church. Uh, someone took their uh, their uh, father's wife. Uh, it may have been not necessarily their direct mother, but maybe like a step uh, stepmother. Uh, was committing sexual immorality, and then he introduces uh, sections by saying, "Now concerning," you uh, know, talk about now concerning marriage. Goes on to talk about about marriage uh, in this age, and uh, and he addresses various issues. And here in chapter eight. He shifts to, and these are sort of questions that the the Corinthians had for him uh, that came up. Uh, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Uh, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Uh, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that... He goes on to talk about about idols, and this issue came up. How do we deal with this issue of food or meat uh, offered to idols that had been sacrificed to idols? And then maybe, because the idols don't actually eat the the meat, (laughs) it ends up back in the the meat market, and uh, it's sold in the meat market. Uh, Can we eat that? What if someone serves that? Is that within our our Christian liberty because it went to to idols. And this brings up a whole host of issues that Paul has to deal with uh, in chapters uh, 8, 9, and uh, 10. Uh, And so uh, he begins, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Uh, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so he's talking about the knowledge of Christian liberty, of freedom, where God hasn't uh hasn't commanded uh he hasn't bound them uh, to do something or prohibited them from doing something uh they have a certain uh liberty a freedom in certain uh domains uh that if there's meat offered in the the meat market sold uh and someone serves it or maybe they buy meat and maybe it had been offered to an idol don't worry about it uh the the idol uh you're not participating in the temple you're not participating in the sacrifices uh, if someone serves meat, don't ask questions you're free to eat it uh, because everything belongs to God. However, the issue comes up in this first section that there's more to it than just knowing our christian liberty how there's does does our use of liberty is it is it loving does it does it build up does it build up fellow fellow believers do we use it to serve God in the gospel? because there are believers who formerly participated in pagan sacrifices. And it would offend their conscience to, to even have an inkling that what was being offered on the table had been bought in the meat market, had been previously offered to an item. it it, it offend their conscience because they, they think back to their participation in the temple, uh, in the rituals, uh, in these sacrifices, eating before the temple and fellowship and with these uh, with these pagan deities, it would offend their conscience. Uh, and so, uh, Paul wants to instruct them, yeah, you know you have liberty uh, with some of these issues. However, if you have a brother or sister in Christ that by your eating or saying, don't worry about it, let's just go ahead, that they might be tempted to go ahead, do what you're doing, and they might offend their conscience, uh, which is neither safe nor right, as uh, uh, people often quote quote Luther. Uh, I don't know about that particular line, but uh, to, to uh, disobey conscience. Uh, and it would cause them to stumble, to harm their conscience. Uh, and biblically, it's never safe to go against your conscience. Uh, uh, if you Believe that by doing something that you'd be sinning against God and His Word. Don't do it. Don't even go there. Uh, flee. Uh, and so, He doesn't want them uh, to uh, to uh, try to try to entice uh, fellow believers uh, to, uh, to to participate in things that would offend their uh, their conscience as the loving thing a loving thing to do. Uh, but then he goes on in chapter 2 to use himself as an illustration, uh, talking about as an apostle. He's free uh, to, uh, to receive some provision for his ministry in the gospel, uh, to support him uh, for his life and ministry. He could take a believing uh, wife uh, uh, along with him and, and receive some support from the ch- churches, from the believers, as Christ taught. And he uses this as an example, that Paul has the liberty, he has the freedom uh, to, to do this, but Paul voluntarily sets it aside in order to make the gospel free of charge. To not put any stumbling block in someone's way to preach the gospel. Uh, he's not looking for handouts. Uh, Paul will work all the harder, even though it's, it's, it's right, Christ commanded, taught, that uh, that they should make their living from the uh, from the gospel, Paul voluntarily will set aside that prerogative to preach the gospel uh, for uh, for free, and so he's going to teach them. Uh, do likewise. You have the freedom; you're not under compulsion. But you'd be loving uh, to your brother uh, and to to God to set aside uh, to set aside your freedom uh, for concern for your brother. Uh, And then, uh, finally, we'll be looking at chapter 9, primarily. But then in chapter uh, 10, he uses another illustration, uh, going back to the scriptures, uh, the Old Testament, the wilderness wanderers, because he wants to caution them, there is a danger that when you assert your Christian liberty to sin, to actually participate in pagan rituals and in the temple and go eat Go eat in the temple uh, in uh, of the sacrifices and participate uh, in your old pagan ways. You cannot do that. That's beyond the bounds of Christian uh, Christian liberty and uh, freedom. You cannot go in idolatry uh, like them. Uh, and finally, he turns back to believing uh, believing brothers, and he draws uh, all of this uh, uh, to them and applies it to them, and also showing yes. Uh, for your weaker brother, you might set aside some of your uh, your liberty, your freedom here. But if the weaker brother starts becoming the legalistic brother and starts saying, oh, you can't eat that, don't do this, uh, do that, uh, suddenly they're not your weaker brother anymore. Now they're, they're becoming legalists, false teachers. Don't allow that. Don't allow false teaching. And so he has this whole host of issues, of concerns, first with the weaker brother, uh then illustrating from himself in the gospel him setting aside his freedom uh to uh to take provision for the the gospel from the churches uh and then warning against idolatry from the old testament and then tying it all together at uh, the end of uh chapter uh chapter 10 in fact quickly just look at the end of chapter 10 and then we'll go right back to 9 Okay, so he, he, gets, he finishes up uh, 22. Uh, Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And this is after he's saying, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord in the table of demons. You cannot commit idolatry. You can't use your liberty to sin and go into idolatry uh, and in uh, these pagan unbelieving rituals. But then uh, he, uh, he turns back and ties it all all this teaching together in these illustrations. Uh, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So they they, need to look, they're asserting their Christian liberty. Everything's lawful, you know, for me. Uh, He's saying, there are other considerations here. Uh, In your liberty, you need to think about uh, what's helpful, what's profitable, what builds up, what loves, what serves God and is to His glory and for the sake of the gospel. And then make your decision about your your Christian liberty. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So there are considerations with the gospel, with unbelievers, with believers, with weaker brothers. Uh, that he's he's tying this all together. And so, with the unbeliever, you know, eat what's up before you. Don't even don't ask. You know, uh, whether it was offered to an idol or not. Just eat eat what's before you. Don't worry about it. Uh, but if someone says to you, "This has been offered in sacrifice," then do not eat, uh, for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience but his. So here's a weaker brother it would have, it, it would upset his conscience. He would think he's sinning by by doing this and so he's uh, nervous about it. This was offered to to idols to to sacrifices. He's thinking I'm I'm participating in the sins I once uh, did before. Uh and so he's saying don't do it for, not this isn't about your conscience but for for him don't don't eat it. Uh and so this is a believer. Uh And for the sake of conscience, verse 29, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that uh, for which I give thanks? And so he's also warning, watch out for legalism. (laughs) Uh, The weaker brother is not the legalistic brother. I think as someone put once before, the, the weaker brother is not the tyrannical brother that's saying, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and adding to God's word and going beyond it. That's not the weaker brother. Uh, and so, uh, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So, summarizing it all, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, uh, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So that summarizes the whole section. And now let's just go back to this uh, illustration that Paul gives of himself in verse 9. Uh, or in chapter chapter 9. Uh, here we're going to see draws on the uh, the, the law, and uh, I just want to show you some of how this fits together in this section to put it in, uh, put it in context, dealing with Christian liberty. And so, uh, now, uh, with himself, uh, am I not free? Talking about his freedom. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not, uh, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, the Corinthians. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Uh, and so he's defending his apostleship. But he's also, he's using this as an illustration for them. He has liberty. He's free. Uh, and so it's nothing for people to criticize and denounce him. Uh, but he's going to defend himself and also say why he doesn't exercise his liberty as an apostle. Uh, to receive uh, living from the the gospel support. Uh, Verse 3, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Uh, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? And so, He's saying, of course, these are rhetorical questions. Yeah, we have a, a right to eat and drink. Yeah, we have a right to take along a, a believing, uh, believing wife or a, a sister wife, uh, as it's uh, basically in Greek, a sister in, in, uh, in Christ, uh, a believer. Uh, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right uh, to refrain from working for a living? Like the other apostles, uh, like James and Jude, like the brothers of, uh, of Christ. You know, they do these things. We have the freedom to do it as, uh, as well. Uh, And so, he continues with his argument. He gives a few illustrations. And we'll get to the the law in a moment. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? So, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? No one. If you work in an army and you serve as a soldier, you get support from the government. Uh, they, they they support their soldiers uh, to go out and fight and serve for them. Uh, and who plants a vineyard without eating of any of its fruit? Of course, you work on a vineyard, you get the fruit of your harvest and uh, the, the work and the sweat uh, that you put into your uh, labor. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And so it's kind of a... Kind of, uh, in some ways, reductio ad absurdum. You know, the people get support for these things. What about Barnabas and I in preaching the gospel, in teaching, uh, in serving Christ and the gospel? Uh, sh- shouldn't we? Don't we have the right and the freedom to, uh, to take of, of these things and get support? And now he, he's going he's gonna to back this up with some uh, real support. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? And so he's going to the Torah as authority uh, for his argument that he's making here. Here, he's positive toward the law, but we're going to see he's going to be, in a little bit, he's going to become very negative toward the law. That's kind of why I want to use this chapter where you, you see these strong contrasts uh, between, uh, between the two. Does not the law, the Torah, say the same? For uh, it is, and this is, Divine authority, for it is written in the law of Moses, five books you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? So he starts with the oxen, and that sounds kind of civil right there that if you 're going to put it into moral civil ceremonial. Well, it's about oxen and you know how how you have them threshings. That sounds kind of like civil law. I, I thought the civil law was uh, uh, done away with uh, here. He's saying as an authority, and th- this comes from uh, from uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, after this whole uh, whole section uh, talking about going through uh, from the greatest in society t- in the least, and uh, you shall not muzzle an ox uh, when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Uh, Does he not certainly speak for our sake? And the idea is yes. Now, uh, when you read the text in Deuteronomy, uh, it's kind of funny. Some commentators try to go around this, but uh, you have to grab the bull by the horns. A lot of times the the Hebrew prophets and apostles, when they want to make a lesser to greater argument, they deny the lesser and they affirm the greater. Uh, And so if someone was uh, out threshing uh, they they had their oxen on the threshing floor. And Moses came along and said, hey, what's, what's that oxen doing muzzled? Why do, why do you have the oxen muzzled? Don't you let him eat some of the grain? He's threshing there. Uh, oh, Moses, you know, God only cares about people. You know, he only cares about us. He doesn't care about the oxen. Well, I think if you read it in context, as Daniel Block says, you see, from the greatest in society to the least, yeah, God, he cares about oxen. But compared to humans, oxen are, they're nothing. Uh, and so, uh, a lot of times you'll have the the prophet say things like, uh, "Does God uh, does God desire burnt offerings and sacrifices? Doesn't He care about you know? Doesn't He want justice?" And so they almost make it like God doesn't care about burnt offerings and sacrifices because justice is so much more important. If you're going to n- neglect justice then forget the, forget the sacrifices. They're just hypocritical. And so Paul here, uh, he's making a lesser and greater argument. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? Humans are more important than, uh, than uh, oxen and, and sheep. Uh, they're made in the image of God. And so uh, he applies this here uh, as scripture, a uh, source of teaching. Uh, and we're going to see, now he goes to a so-called ceremonial law, and then he'll go to Christ, uh, the head of the new covenant. Uh, that's where he'll he'll end. Uh, and so does he not certainly speak for our sake? It uh, is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Uh, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much we reap material things from you? Uh, the gospel, uh, the a proclamation of, of God's word, that they could just get a little a little support for it. Uh, And if others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? So they have this right. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. This is going to be a model for them dealing with their weaker brothers and uh, their freedom to to eat meat that, that is sold in the marketplace. Uh, And so, uh, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ, even though they have the right, they don't use it. And now, uh, this is going to sound like a ceremonial law, uh, which they're supposed to be abrogated. Uh, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple, uh, or those who are employed in the temple, service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Well, it sounds kind of ceremonial. You know, if you're going to j- just break up the Torah into uh, legal bits, uh, moral, civil, ceremonial, what is going on here? Uh, even uh, even uh, theonomists, Paul, that's ceremonial law. What, what are you doing? Well, it's, it's scripture. It's, it's God-breathed. It's a source of wisdom for training in righteousness, for instruction. But he's not, he's not putting them under it as covenant, as legal code to be justified and to be brought under a curse but he's using it for wisdom and instruction, and he ultimately appeals to the Lord himself because it's consistent with the new covenant and with uh, Christ's own teaching. Uh, And so, uh, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He's sending out the the 12 and the 70, saying uh, that that, uh, they should make their living off the gospel. He's ultimately drawing from Christ's own teaching. That's where he finally ends up. Uh, But these other things as scripture, uh, as, as wisdom, uh, he can draw from the, the Torah. Yeah, Bob?
1: Yeah, as we're running out of time, Yeah, I'm going to try to summarize yeah. what I've learned and mm-hmm. you can tell me if I understand. Okay, I know in church history, mainly from John Calvin, mm-hmm. you divide up the law in the ceremonial, civil, and moral.
0: Mm-hmm. I think some of those even went back further. Yeah, I don't yeah. know
1: Luther but uh, we're saying that's artificial
0: yes mm-hmm. and we're
1: showing from scripture that Paul didn't see it that way. Mm-hmm. he didn't take the whole uh, law as scripture mm-hmm. and say well this
0: applies
1: this does that, this does yeah stuff. yeah yeah he, so as scripture the whole Old Testament yeah. is our scripture yes yes and we can learn from it absolutely however mm-hmm. There is some distinction we have to make. Oh yeah. And would it be right now mm-hmm. to say the real issue is what covenant we're under? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. the The important thing is the uh, the covenant uh, that that we're under, uh, the Torah, as the Mosaic covenant, as legal code. And on top of that, even when we use it as scripture, as a source of wisdom. Uh, training in righteousness, as Paul says, all scripture. Uh, even then, we still need to take into account, I mean, God's purposes, God's work in creation, like Jesus uh, points back to, he, he made a male and female. Uh, those things are still binding. But the teaching of Christ and the, the apostles and prophets under the, uh, the the new covenant. And so we look at the, the two. But we But then the Torah, where if they want to say, well, you know we're being ant- antinomian. Well, you know Paul got that charge a lot too uh, when it came to uh, Torah as covenant as legal code, <laughs> but but who's the antinomian? Uh, the one that's saying, "Oh, it's just the moral bits," you know, that uh, that are uh, we still use for training in righteousness? Right. No, the, the 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 whole Torah as scripture, uh, as wisdom, as prophecy. The whole Torah, not not the the narrative, the genealogies, uh, the yeah legal bits, commandments. I mean, the 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 whole thing, but not as covenant, not as uh, not as uh, legal code. It has poetry within it, and you even the legal bits. You get in danger when you start. Even Jews under the old covenant, if you just start thinking, oh, it's just legal bits here. There was more going on. Uh, in the narrative and how those things are framed, to understand, we need circumcised hearts. We need God's spirit.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. and even that, it's not that easy. Just to say, oh, this year is moral law. This is civil. Mm-hmm. It really becomes a new evangelical JEDP.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and there there are grains of truth in a sense that we recognize all foods are clean. You know, Jesus uh, said things like that, and so sometimes they'd focus they'd focus on some of these. Uh, what we 'd sometimes call maybe food or dietary, although Adam uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. what was that is a food law <laughs> you know uh, and so uh, and so that 's the important thing but we 're uh, out of time, and so Lord willing next time uh, we 'll we'll finish this section we 're We'll see some of the negative and positive where suddenly it's like whoa paul you know i thought (laughs) i thought are are you being a legalist paul you're binding us to all these things suddenly paul's gonna go antinomian on us but not really i mean he's uh saying uh where he goes uh that uh you know to the jews i become as one under the law although not really under the law uh, but under the law of christ uh And so, uh, yeah, we'll talk about more, and then, Lord willing, I'd also like to go uh, into uh, Romans and Romans chapter 7, where uh, you see some of these uh, stark contrasts, and sometimes it's black and white, but other times he, you know, he picks up uh, nuances, and like Brian S. Rosner says, we have to let Paul say one thing at a time, (laughs) uh, and uh, interpret things in in context. So let's just uh, pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for uh, all your wisdom and for, uh, for your uh, apostles and prophets um, whom, whom you appointed. And uh, we thank you for the Apostle <clears throat> Paul, and we thank you uh, for your word and that, uh, that we're not under the, uh, the old covenant, but uh, we're, uh, by grace, through faith, uh, united to your Son, uh, and we're partakers of the, the new covenant uh, whose promises are, are uh, much, uh, far, far better, uh, no longer types and shadows. But uh, we have a perfect, a sufficient mediator uh, who uh, gave himself once for all for, uh, for our sins to uh, bring us near to you. And uh, we thank you for these things and we thank you uh, f- for your word and pray that you'd teach us uh, by, uh, by your Holy Spirit.